chapter 24, starting at verse 36. Jesus is continuing the Olivet Discourse that we discussed last weekend. But concerning that day, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus continues the Olivet Discourse. I recommend that you go to the Gospel of Matthew and read the entirety of that passage. It's a fascinating discussion with the Lord. Uh, I heard a scholar refer to it as a private secret briefing that was only revealed after the Gospels were written. That's an interesting idea. Jesus is letting his closest, most dearest followers in on the plan. And the plan involves a predictably unpredictable outcome. Now, it's only unpredictable in that we don't know what God's timing is. I mentioned to you a moment ago that God is at work in our midst. We can see God moving around us. Here's the thing. We don't know when God will suddenly turn left or suddenly turn right. We only know that we should follow and that we should trust that the direction we're going is the direction that God intends for us to be going. So the Olivet Discourse is Jesus' way of saying everything is planned and anticipated by the Lord, even the movements of the enemy. And therefore, nothing should dismay you or scare you or worry you. Advent is a time of knowing that God's plan is coming to pass, that everything God has said, God means and God will do. That's why we are so committed to the glory of God and the righteousness of God, because God is unchanging, eternal, and always faithful, true, and right. And most of all, God is love. And for love of us, God has given us news and knowledge of what to expect, signs to follow along the way. He's given us a roadmap. He's given us signs and direction. He's given us guides to take us through difficult passages. And he's given us each other for the same reason. Now, Jesus makes many predictions in the Olivet Discourse that have come to pass, and so we can believe that those that have not will. And therefore, we can expect, sadly, that the Christians will experience persecution. We can expect that the world will experience upheaval and tumult 
and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and all of these other things are part of the human condition during what we would call the church era. The church era is the time between Pentecost and Christ's return. So you are the church, the body of Christ, the capital C church, living through the Christian era. Now, I've read many, many interpretations of end times prophecies and events, and frankly, I find that most Christians, especially uh, people who are uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I call them rubberneckers, you know. They can't help it when they come across a terrible accident or something tragic. They have to slow down and take a good look, you know. And, and here's the thing I've discovered in my study of Scripture and my life and faith. It is better to focus on the big picture when it comes to our Lord. God is so big that if you don't step back and look at God from a distance, you can't see anything, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Some things are just too big to grasp up close. And so we watch for the pillar of fire and cloud, but we also watch from a distance so that we can see the movement of the pillar of cloud and fire. If you're wondering what I mean by that, let me give you this visual, but try not to see it as the terrifying uh, uh, metaphor. We've all seen at least video of tornadoes in our beloved Midwest here. And so if you can just imagine the pillar of cloud and fire being like an EF5 tornado of fire, that's what we're watching and following. And in this case, we're not running away from it. We're running toward it. In fact, all of your Christian existence is a, is a sprint or a marathon race toward that fire that is the very presence of God. All of us are pursuing sanctification so that we can be in the closest proximity to God that, is a cap that we're capable of. And by Jesus, that will eventually be as near to God as Jesus is, as sons and daughters. So all of this is a reminder to us that while we live in this church era, we are experiencing tribulation. And there are greater tribulations to come, but throughout the church era, there have been persecutions. There have been false Christs. There are false religions. We deal with that every day. We, as a congregation, as a family of faith, have dealt with our own version of a counterfeit Christianity, and we've chosen to move in a better direction, following the pillar of fire and cloud. That is the real spirit of our Lord. And so we need to recognize that if we are fooled into thinking that these are end-time things that we don't have to deal with until they get here, we are mistaken. They are here. The wars and the rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the famines, the dreadful things that might cause a family to decide not to have children yet, or anything like that. All the things that make you anxious when you watch YouTube or you watch the news or you read the headlines on your phone or your tablet. All of these things that make you anxious are the things Jesus is talking about in the Olivet Discourse. Those things are part of being Christians in a fallen world. And you may, I hope, all of us may actually get to witness the coming of Christ in the blink of an eye where we are at the instant raised to his presence and transformed through re resurrection into the spiritual 
perfection that we seek. That's the goal, and it could happen at any moment, and so we call it imminent. But in the meantime, we accept that the church will suffer. Even we will suffer because we live in the church era that is troubled by tribulation. And so Jesus is telling us not to be surprised by this, not to be sad about this, not to be sorry or even regret that we have been slandered or abused or misused because we held closely to his glory and followed him and joined in worshiping who and what the God of Israel and the fathers throughout the ages of the Old Testament and the God who came to dwell among us as Christ Jesus and now the Holy Spirit that is who we are when we are the body of Christ. All of that is what we cling to, whatever the cost. And this is the reason, because when he comes, this is how he hopes to find us, persevering until the end for his glory. Suffering, not because we think this is all there is, but because we know there's so much more because of our salvation and our new birth in Christ so that we are one in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the eternal God in us, working through us and around us. And it will be that same spirit that unites with our spirits to lift us into his presence, either at the hour of our death or when he returns. And this is the advent. This is the essence of the advent. This is the blessed hope that we see. So as we get closer to the Christmas story, we're going to find ourselves focusing once again on the absurd and amazing story of how God enters human life as a baby laying in a stone feed trough in a cave meant for sacrificial sheep. We'll consider once again how God, through this little baby, saves all of creation because of this child who becomes the man of incredible faithfulness, who never loses sight of his divine nature, even as he embraces every element of our human nature. And then it's in, in a way that only he can, at a cost that only God can bear, he saves us. And this is what we were singing about in the hymns, and this is the Christmas that we will try to celebrate here as a Shiloh family of faith while the world celebrates gifts and candy and trees and lights and all of those other things. We won't reject that. We'll enjoy it with them. We will, when called to, bear witness to Christ by saying, did you know what this is really about? Did you know what this really means? Could I tell you about what Christmas is to me? Could I invite you to experience what Christmas is to me? And then we as a family of faith faithfully work together to produce something authentic and real right here that people can experience in the midst of all the noise and chaos that is the world of the flesh. In the midst of the tribulation that is the world of the flesh, we can be a people who are always watching the horizon for the coming of the star, the great morning star, the beautiful, glorious Jesus Christ when his trumpet blows and we come. Isn't that more worth our time and our energy than 
the historical event of Jesus' birth. So we focus on both. One serves now as a sign and the other serves as a blessed hope. And this is what Advent means on this first Sunday in Advent. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you and I praise you this day for your word. And I pray that you burn it upon our hearts. And I thank you for these faithful people. Now, enhance their courage, enhance their faith, grow them into a people willing to wander in the wilderness, following you from a distance, but never, never neglecting to obey you, to trust you, and to go wherever you lead. And then we do, as always, throughout the age of the church, join with all Christians in saying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.